I must say this because this is a self-requirement of mine. I have had alongside my mom, Claire Brewer, this sincere struggle of this balancing juggling act of honoring the beauty that Christianity brought our lives with concerning moments that have her and I questioning is Jesus truly being glorified or not but before I speak any further about that I must speak about this consider it a disclaimer of love I am not an enemy of religion. I am not an opposer of faith, and I am not an adversary of spirituality. I am calling in religious people. I am not calling out religious people. I am calling in faith-based people. I am not calling out faith-based people. I am calling in spirituality-based people. I am not calling out spirituality-based people. What does calling in mean for me? It means I want religious, faith-based, and spirituality folks to be a part of my life terms of friendships, in terms of family members, and in terms of people who can help guide me, I am open to correction from anyone who loves me for me, who respects me for me, and who likes me for me. Some of those people When I say those people, that's not disparaging now. That means some of the people, I'd rather say, are those who are pious, right? And this is what I will say. I can learn and grow from you. And I hope that you feel that you can learn and grow from me. We are not going to bash each other. We're going to celebrate each other. And we're going to have way more commonalities than... The areas of life that we may have diverse experiences that will have us coming to diverse conclusive results and I am careful about how I talk about religion, faith, and spirituality because 
of my love for human rights as it's been well documented on the on our podcast. I must say this too. I may not have talked perfectly about any subject and any issue. And I don't think I will ever arrive at perfection on any subject and any issue. There's always room for me to grow forever. And there's always room for me to learn forever. That is why I said I learn and grow from you. You learn and grow from me. I learn and grow from myself too. And that is why I can learn and grow from you as well. And to all my listeners, I learn and grow from you. I'm not a perfectionist. I'm not obsessed with flaws. And I never try to dot every I and cross every T. Because that that is something I am absolutely disinterested in. But I but I can say is that I speak with every subject and every issue through the lens of wholeness. I communicate wholeness in every topic and every hot button sensitive conversation pieces. Wholeness is my interest. Flawlessness is my disinterest. So, our podcast, I say our because you're listening, you're processing, And in your own way, you're providing valuable input. Even though I'm the main host, I'm not the only one who talks all the time. I have guest hosts and I have you. You talk too. Your thoughts matter. I care about what goes through your mind and heart and soul when you hear me out. And so I'd made a decision. I'm going to talk. I'm going to bring my grandma Claire into each and every podcast episode I do. I just made it a habit because I said that so many people love when I talk about my grandma Claire. People close to me, you love it. And people who may not be listening to every episode, and then there are people listening to every episode, they love when I talk about my grandma Claire too. My mom, Claire, too. So you'll hear me mention her every episode. Because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have a Tony Time Daily podcast. And that's the truth. So before I talk about the struggle, this is what I will say. Religious people, I am your friend. I'm not your foe. 
faith-based people, I am your friend, I'm not your foe. Spirituality-based people, I'm your friend and not your foe. Religious people, I am your family, not your rival. Faith-based people, I am your family. I'm not your rival. Spirituality-based people, I am your family. I'm not your rival. Now, with a clear, clean consciousness of a clear and clean heart and a clear and clean mind and clear and clean soul, let us begin to talk about the ideas and ideals at hand. My grandma Clara had a quote that I want to elaborate on. She said, a fool's name is just like his face, always seen in a public place. It reminds me of slang words that I learned from hip hop, as well as talking to people from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s time period. In hip hop, it's called high posting. High posting is when you are so bent on having everyone know who you are in the name of infamy. High signing is all about being an attention seeker for detrimental purposefulness. And those are things that I was able to learn. Here's a commentary. Here's a Here's two commentaries that I've read from the New International Version Bible. There are times where I use the Bible to communicate life lessons because I'm honoring the relationship that my grandma Claire and I have with Jesus Christ. You already know my views on religion. You know what that means for me. You know what that means for her. So I could just say that and keep going. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Prudent people have a quiet confidence. Insecure or uncertain people feel the need to prove themselves, but prudent people don't have to prove anything. They know they are capable so they can get on with their work. Beware of showing off. If you are modest, people may not notice you at first, but they will respect you later. 
Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. I was wrong, or I need advice or difficult phrases to utter because they require humility. Pride is an ingredient in every quarrel. It stirs up conflict and divides people. Humility, by contrast, heals. Guard against pride. If you find yourself constantly arguing, examine your life for pride. Be open to the advice of others. Ask for help when you need it and be willing to admit your mistakes. And then these last two verses I will read to you are very much obvious. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 2. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. The righteous weigh their answers. The wicked don't wait to speak because they don't care about the effects of their words. It is important to have something to say, but it's equally important to weigh it first. Do you carefully plan your words or do you pour out your thoughts without concern for their impact? And I will end the Bible reading there for for this morning. That's what my my mom Claire was, as we say, informally was getting at. And so it makes me think about. She was making that reference in regard to graffiti because graffiti started getting popular in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's still popular because I see it all the time. I live in D.C. And It makes me think about some things that I need to discuss, but again, people of religion, people of faith, and people of spirituality. We care about and for God-likeness and Christ-likeness. I am not your nemesis. I am not your arch nemesis either. It makes me think about the celebrity Christian culture, celebrity church culture that I need to lovingly speak on. I have seen instances 
where there's more attention paid to the pastor than God. Because you hear more about what the pastor says than what God says. This doesn't happen in every church, and I don't have an all-or-nothing thinking on that. But I must say that I want to speak on that because I want all religions, all faiths, and all spiritualities to thrive and not just survive. I want people of all religions, people of all faiths, and people of all spiritualities to thrive and not just survive. I want uh, religious faith and spirituality people to prosper in body and soul. That's the most respectful way to articulate that. But let me get back to celebrity church culture, celebrity Christian culture. I've seen the dangers of it in terms of the news media, media's um, reports of it. There is what I like to call uh, pious groupies. It's when they will say and do whatever the pastor says, even if some of the pastors are hard-hearted like Pharaoh. And whatever the pastor says goes. And I've always had concerns about this, but before I explain, all these issues happen in the secular world, too. You have... um, Monkey, monkey see, monkey do cults happening outside of religion and faith spirituality. So I need to be fair, and I'm I'm glad I'm verbalizing that. But I want to address every kind of concern I have about the world of relig- uh, the uh, the world of religion and faith spirituality and religiousness because. My grandma taught me the beauty of being a meek Christian, and I want to honor what she taught me. So that's why I talk about these issues, because I want to help build the church back better. Not tear it down and keep it torn down. No, I want to help build the church back better. And there's so many people like me who we may have our own thoughts about Jesus, but we want to help build the church back better and keep it built well. Once you build it better, keep the foundation, the bricks, the rocks, 
in any kind of architecture. We want the spiritual architecture to stay healthy and we want the physical architecture to stay healthy as well. So yes, I hope we can build mosques back better. I hope that we could build synagogues back better. And I hope that we could build temples back better. I want to build all houses of worship back better and have all their physical architectures and spiritual architectures stay healthy. I want all their foundations to stay robust. I don't want any of them abolished. I want all religions, all faiths, and all spiritualities to thrive in body and soul. I don't want any of them abolished. I want all of them to be built back better and to stay healthy in physical and spiritual architectures. I'm glad I said that on record. Now I can really keep going. So celebrity church culture. Tell me, tell, I'll tell you more about it. It's when you have people who are under the spell of certain people that are said to be pastors. I'm not talking about all pastors, the ones that give people misperceptions and misconceptions about godliness, holiness, right? That that explains the confusing lust for love and love for lust that I have witnessed. For example, I've seen I've been in a I've been in a church where I've seen women fawning over the pastor, pastor single. And they would laugh a little too loud or get a little too giggly. And the way they would look and talk to the pastor, I could tell this is more than just I need counseling or I want to see how you're doing. It was more of, you know... Pastor is kind of intriguing. I'll just leave it at that. And so I I saw the smiles, the giggles, the hand flapping, the hee hee hee. Right? And they would get a little too impressed with what the pastor was saying. And then, touch not the Lord's anointed. That, that's get misinterpreted for... Confusing the pulpit for Jehovah. And I think that there are ways you can give constructive criticism to the pulpit. You can respect the calling that God has given them. And also help them to continue to make sure, is your calling really from God? Or did you miss, did you miss her? Are you, did you mishear God? Because it, cause we get called to do a lot of things. 
But if what you're doing is in line with scripture or your pulpiteer, then you know that's what God calls you to do. Now, if it's all about uh, the multitudes, bling, bling, and camera crews, Mm. Don't get me wrong. Some preachers have a gift that they have those things, but they're still humble. It's possible to have humility in your heart and possess those very same realities. But then there's some people who They desire fame and not effectiveness, right? Plus, you see some people try so hard to be cool. You know, they're overly fixated on being trendy. Um, Their sense of being relevant is questionable. Because they're unwholesome in terms of all the aspects of true Christianity. And I see a lot of fear of being prophetic. I see a lot of fear of if I'm prophetic, will I be confused as a bigot? Meaning, if I talk about God's views on poverty, God's views on racism, God's views on misogyny, and God's views on... Adultism, adult superiority, adult supremacy over children, and God's views on abuse. And God's views on hypocrisy. Will my stakeholders take offense to me so strongly that I can no longer pay for my home and my home is gone. I can no longer pay for my vehicles. My vehicles are gone. I can no longer have my collection plates and tithes and offerings and guest preacher um, checks and being fully hospitable to the guest preachers in terms of lodging and hotel stay or staying at the house of one of the church leaders or me or a congress like, oh, the preacher can stay at my home, you know, to be hospitable to the preachers. Do I have to reimburse? Will they be able to pay for the transportation and travel and flight of the guest preachers and 
What if? We're not perceived a certain way by uh, Christian media of any kind of Christian platform. If I preach against the ways that we have treated those who are thinking about deconverting from religion, will we be seen as weak in faith, weak in our relationship with God and Jesus, the Holy Trinity? And the Bible. I th- and if we preach against sex scandals, if if I talk about self control and self discipline, will that make some people who are eyeing me in the church not come back? If I get married, if I find the love of my life, will parts of my church balcony be cleared out because people were only there as long as I was a single person of God. And then how do I resist temptation to not engage in any extramarital sexual affairs because even though we're in church Human beings still have their desires, so how do I preach about possessing all the fruits of the Spirit, but there's parishioners who are aggressive at pursuing me, are non-aggressive but they're still pursuing me and biologically they're doing something within me that I actually like but I'm supposed to only act out my legal and safe biological urges for my spouse and I don't want to destroy the church and I don't want to make unbelievers and non-believers feel vindicated and not wanting to step foot in my church and any church in general. And how do I have holy boundaries against unnecessary family split up? How do I outreach to people who are first-time visitors? How can they feel a part of the church in terms of what we talk about? And do we care more about state-of-the-art technology more than 
visitors who want us to preach on things that are made to be taboo in their own lives away from the church buildings. And how do I help my parishioners be meet people, meet Christians? How do I help them to accurately study the Bible for themselves for all godly reasons and not rely on me for every godly wisdom facet? And then I'm just telling you all the concerns that the pulpit has. I I have interacted with pulpiteers. I have lunch with pulpiteers. I know all this from the back of my hand. Plus research I've done, people I talk with. I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to keep on. Okay, how do I um, have decent relationships with my parishioners and not make them feel like well, pastor had lunch with so-and-so, so are they being clickish toward me? You know, some people you have better rapport with than others, and that doesn't change just because you're in God's house, right? But there's some parishioners you would love to be their friend, but you're afraid of, you know, like a therapist. Some of your clients you want to be friends with. There are people we do want to be close to because... Like-mindedness happens in secular environments and faith-based environments. That human nature is the same everywhere when you deeply uh, consider that. But at the same time, some people you have to lovingly turn down because of the professional limitations. You don't want to have a needless cozying up. And even if you are able to control yourself well and them as well, it's not about fear at the same time. It's about caution. And that's a tough thing. I figured that out in my life. There are people that want to do things with you, but at the same time, you go, you can't, we can't have that kind of relationship because of what I have in terms of my position. So that's why many pastors are not friends with people in in their um, congregations. Then there's some pastors who feel like, look, we have a lot in common. You are beneficial spiritually to me, and I'm beneficial spiritually to you. Even though you're a parishioner, I'm a pulpiteer, you help my pastoral life well and I help your personal life well. Some pastors go, hey, you can be friends, but keep the number short. Some go, hey, anybody I connect with, I'm going to let the number be as what it is. If it's big, okay, but I got my boundaries right and I got theirs right too. You got your boundaries right and theirs right too. The number's short too. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to limit that. I'm not going to limit that at all. Then you have some pastors who are only friends with other preachers, which is a, an extremely tough one because if you have pulpiteer friends, then you will 
barely see them. You'll have to rely on Zoom, phone, and emails most of the time. Because pastors are the most are the busiest people in the church. Well, you could argue that the boards and ch- other church leadership. Okay, 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 that makes sense. I'm just saying that the pastor is the most focused person besides Jesus. Jesus is number one focus in church. Number two, people show up because. Of Jesus, but you hear the pastor more than anybody else in the church. Don't get me wrong, you hear Jesus the most in church, but an imperfect person that you hear the most in church is the pastor. And I say imperfect because I don't want people to confuse the pastor and Jesus. No. Jesus tells the pastor what to say and do, what not to say, what not to do. And the how-tos of all the above. And how not to is all the above, too. All right. And then you have some people who are concerned about how do I talk to pastors? How do I talk about anything with the pastor, even if it's a sensitive matter? Will the pastor have their pastoral senses tingling? And will they be super holy on me? That's a concern that parishioners have. They may not voice it, but I've been around Christians long enough. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And are the pat is the pastor the same as they are in the pulpit outside of church? Because some pastors are and some are not. That's the truth. It's like people in church, like people, some are the same as they are in church and some are not. Personal experiences. I understand. And here's the thing. No one's perfect, but we cannot excuse hypocrisy. There's a difference. You have some people who are worried about, what do I wear? Because some people look like corporate America in church, and some people wear casual clothes in church, and then there's this mental scuffle going on between the two camps. Well, because I look like corporate America, I'm holier. Well, because I come as you are, casual clothes, like you come as you are, corporate, I come as you are, casual. So I'm holy because I look like I, you know, more people in the world, feel what, you know, will be more comfortable with me than you have corporate American people. Well, you know, people in the world want to look cute. I'm looking cute, too. So I'm closer to God. So not everybody in church does that, but I've heard stories of that happening. Real life stories of that happening. And then you have 
people who will preach something that is actually what they're struggling with. For example, you have some people who preach against adultery, but they have adulterous affairs with certain people in the congregation, and they're in the pulpit. Then you have certain members of a congregation having adulterous affairs with other members of the congregation. Then you have certain people in the pulpits, and they're having adulterous affairs with each other. And then you have adulterous affairs between the boards and church leadership, deacons, deaconesses, and so on and so forth. And then you have divorces all over the place, nasty divorces all over the place too. Some are peaceful and some are nasty. That's no different than society, right? It's a church society, if you think about it. Not all churches, but we got to talk about these things. These things are in people's minds. They need somebody to speak them. Why not me? And then you have um, outside children issues. Where you don't see the you don't see them until the pastor is sick or going through a crisis or dead or at the funeral. I heard of this story from Bishop Carlton Pearson. I learned a lot about issues in church from just hearing him out because I can I'm concerned about church issues he said there were people like Billy Graham even though Billy Graham was always faithful to his wife but you had black preachers like Billy you know doing what Billy Graham did Billy Graham's a white preacher I don't mean to bring race into it, but he was talking about 50s, 60s, 60s, 40s, so that was very sensitive time like this, but racism was legal back then, so I had to put it in there. He was talking about how black preachers tended to stay in the homes of the saints. They didn't have hotels. And the Holy Spirit would influence the church settings. You know, a lot of people would get saved. A lot of people would fall out on the altar. A lot of people would get super excited. And they're away from home for long periods of time because they are itinerant preachers. Itinerant preachers when... Like Jesus, you're in communities for short periods of time spreading the gospel to anyone that you're led by the Holy Spirit to feel will listen and, and hopefully will become a Christian after you've witnessed to them. So there was a particular story of some of the black preachers stayed in homes of single mothers. And... The single mother would say to one of the kids, baby, go take this to the preacher. It'll be a piece of pie. Then Carlton Pearson said, then 
the single mother and the black preacher end up getting a piece of thigh. And he said, food and sex are the biggest appetites we struggle with. And he said, the saints in his days didn't really exercise because physical exercise profits little something. I'm paraphrasing something in, in, in scripture. That explains the belly over the pants. Like, I would see that as a kid, and I think to myself, you gonna die. I remember thinking that as a nine-year-old. And then, Carlton Pearson said he has preacher friends who are not gonna do right by their wife. I pay for this. I'm the one bringing home the bacon and the bread and I'm the preacher and all my church is successful and so you better not cheat and he was like I can't stop y'all from doing dirty in the dark but don't have the church in foreclosure don't have the church shut down don't have numerous critics bashing you leadership, the congregation, the pulpit for what happened. Don't tear up your families. Don't have your wife have legal ways of getting revenge against you or criminal charges filed or civil charges filed and all these women out the woodworks. You know, all the ones you impregnated stretched all over the country and other countries and other states saying I was with him and I was... I've heard a lot of these... I never heard of a lady pastor having an adulterous affair with anybody. I th- it may happen, I just never heard of it. I only heard it from a male preachers, right? And, you know, well, maybe my wife and I have an understanding. Then I heard Yvette Flunder talk about some of the preachers were underage girls cruising for them into child sex tours. And I said, yee, that is, that's trifling and disgusting. And then I heard of people trying to cancel out each other's sexualities. Now that I heard from Bishop Yvette Flunder. You have people in her day who were considered LGBT plus would have an, what is called an opposite sex marriage where they're trying to stop each other from being gay. Okay, let's be together. But while they're being sexually intimate, they're thinking of the same sex. So they would have to break up because the whole canceling out each other's homosexuality didn't work. And then you have some people who live secret lives in the church. They act as if their sexual adventures are not happening. But then they meet outside of church and it's happening. I heard of some people having sexual adventures in the church, which has freaked me out. I, too many, so many crime shows. I know what I'm talking about. So many crime shows, okay? Um, I heard of people being made to feel bad because 
I remember this story. I've heard stories of teenage girls being raped. But they would accuse the teenage girl of influencing the pastor to quote-unquote sin with the pastor. And they would have the teenage girl stand on the pulpit in front of the congregation and repent of her sin and having a sin baby because of it. And the male would be nowhere to be found. Even in just a teen pregnancy where there was no rape, they'll still have her stand in front of everybody and repent for what happened. And the guy would not be anywhere in sight. Or if the guy was in sight, he got to sit in the pew along with everyone else. He was in the pews with everybody else. Um, I've heard of people You know, with these sex scandals that you can preach and have years of affairs. And then I've heard of abuse stories where they use their power to say, if you don't have sex with me, I'll make it look like you're the sinner and not me. Blackmail, threatening... Lots of of intimidation and tons of harassment. I've heard of that. I've heard of some people... I heard some people say, the reason why you don't hear a lot of taboo subjects talked about in church, in a lot of churches, because they're afraid of dividing the congregation, taking pay cuts, losing their congregation, losing their staff, and losing donors, losing support and their dirty deeds being revealed and their secrets emerging and community disapproval and most communities disapproval of the church. You know, I've heard of that. And sad to say, I've heard of the fear of divided congregation when it comes to abuse and racism. Like, wait a minute. We can't be united against racism and for racial integration and by doing the work to value the black existence and black living as much as we do the white existence and white living and if we unite against the perpetrator and for the And for the one wounded, could it be possible that I'm mad at the wounded one for being right about the perpetrator because I want the perpetrator's nice acting, being friendly acting. Am I I hooked on that? What if I don't want to deal with that? I've heard of those stories. 
I heard of women being made to feel like they're ugly and stupid and not submissive enough to return back to husbands who commit domestic violence trying to kill them. We value husbands ruling they don't say with the iron fist sadly more than domestic abusers committing the crime of murder well you're not giving them enough sex you're not scriptural enough you're you're gaining weight and your curvy figure is disappearing and you're not doing what you're not being a good godly wife I heard of these things uh, and you gotta go back to him I've heard of these same things when it comes to pressuring women to return to cheating husbands I've heard of that too I heard these same reasons for teenage girls to return back to the perpetrators. Same things. And these are dead celebrity church cultures. Basically, to sum it up, it's when you are putting pastors on unholy high pedestals where they can do no wrong, say no wrong. If they say wrong and do wrong, you're always excusing it and defending it. You never make sure that their preaching is of substance. Everything they wear, even if it's too flashy, you'll like. And if you, and you'll be like, I'm, I need to be as flashy as the pastor. But I'll let the pastor be as flashy as one. And I've never been to a church where everybody approved of the pastor. I don't think that church exists. If it does, then I'm okay with being wrong and dead wrong. And I'll stop being wrong and dead wrong. But gossiping. In most churches. Or, best would put, put it, gossiping is in many churches. Let's just say that. And pulpiteers are not spared at all. I must add this. I remember... thinking about the lack of boundaries in a lot of churches. For example, spiritual illiteracy and biblical illiteracy are very high in many churches. For example, 
you have instances where, when we say cleanliness is next to godliness, we think that cliches are in the Bible, but they are not. They may be inspired by the Bible, but not in the Bible themselves. And there's not a lot of accountability partners in many churches. That is why the walls of pastors keep tumbling down. Because we're all, you know, yes, people around preachers. And Carlton Pearson said something that just devastated me. He was talking about he had a relative who would only sin with women in the church. They would call it fornication. Saints only sin with other saints. Saints don't sin with sinners. And in his community, it's called playing the dogs. He had a relative who... Playing the dogs meant sinning. In this case, gambling. Backsliding. That's how they think of it. Playing the dogs, gambling, or playing cards. And one of his relatives did that even though she was said to have come back, quote-unquote, come back to the Lord the night before. And somehow she died horribly. She'll keep screaming, come back to life, keep screaming, come back to life. On the operating table, her breast exposed, her mouth hanging open, and everybody thinks she's in hell, especially at the funeral. Be not dismayed, wherever you tie, God will take care of you. I remember Carlton saying that story, and his dad was outside hearing his mom just scream and come back to life. Then they would basically try to revive her, like, clear, ah, and she would scream and then be silent. And people in this Pentecostal denomination assumed that that same relative, uh, Carlton's, I think, Carlton's dad's relative. I'm not sure if it was mom. Female relative, I'll just say it like that. Is presumably, as he said, in perdition. Hell. And that just horrified me. That his dad had that trauma for years. And his dad stopped feeling bad once Carlton, Bishop Carlton Pearson said, Dad, there's no hell. And his dad felt relieved. I said... Oh my, we need to discuss all these issues in church and have the trained, qualified people, more importantly, most of all, to help us out with these issues in church. This is scary. This is eerie. This is creepy. This is madness. This is insanity. This is depravity. Yuck. Gross. And so, I'll be sharing more of my thoughts on church issues next episode. I'm getting all my doubts out. So, mature people of all faiths, religious spiritualities can help me to love on those who've been fractured and hurt by these issues along with me.